0: All right, guys. Welcome back to the Part Time Hunter Podcast. I'm going to be your host, Daniel Gross, and today I cannot believe we are finally on episode six. And today is kind of a little mini series inside of turkey season that I wanted to start, pretty much like a boots on the ground perspective from guys that have experienced opening day, maybe had success, maybe you know watched the turkey win for once, but. You know whether matter what the outcome is, we're going to get some cool stories, some tactics, some tips and tricks. And today I've got my good buddy Seth Box on the podcast. He is from Mississippi, Mississippi resident. And as you guys know, if you've been following social media for turkey hunting content, you all obviously know that the opener was last Wednesday. So some super fresh knowledge. He uh, was lucky enough to take a bird on the opener, and we're going to hear the full spiel uh in great detail and uh uh Seth why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell uh tell everybody where to find you at on social media
1: hey what's up Daniel man I'm I'm glad to be a part of it and uh I love listening to podcasts And I've always wanted to be on one so I appreciate the invite absolutely
0: oh no I was gonna say so you got an IG page and maybe another page that you run you do some photography and stuff like that
1: yeah yeah so my IG page is just uh simply uh Seth Box, um and we got a a turkey on page is called Spring Rush that we post a lot of turkey content on. So.
0: Dude, that's that's killer, man. You're going to have to send me a, a good picture of you and a turkey or something like that. We'll put it up on the cover page for people to find this episode. But uh, oh. pre- pretty much, guys, what I was telling Seth before the podcast, we got rolling cracked a few beers. Basically, you guys know the show, this podcast, The Part-Time Hunter. It is based on your true working guy that does not have sponsors, big-time commercials, or anything like that we have to go through. So we can immediately dive – Right into the content, no BS, no filler, no commercials, just a pure hunting podcast. So you guys already know what's going on. Well, Seth, basically, what we want to do in this podcast is just get, you know, just like we mentioned earlier, a boots on the ground perspective. Run us through, you know, the prep, uh, the scouting, and and any tips you want to throw in there. These guys are, are all for it. Run us through your opening day experience from from tip to tail, man. And and uh, we'll, just, we'll let you take it away.
1: All right, sweet. So. So me and a buddy of mine, um, Kegan Welch actually made plans to, to head down south and, and hunt on the national forest down there for the opener. Um, just kinda, you know, trying to get to some better goblin further down south to go, uh, maybe a little bit um greener woods and, and some warmer weather. But um oh, yeah. yeah, man. So right after right after we made those plans it actually got really warm here around the house and birds went to goblin. And honestly I didn't really want to go down there. Um you know, I, I guess I thought maybe somebody was going to kill one of the turkeys around here, or, or I was going to miss out on something, but but anyways, we stuck to the plan, and um, headed down there. I actually didn't get to hunt the opener, which was Wednesday. Um, okay. Unfortunately, I had to work, so that afternoon, I got off of work, and I headed down there. Um it was a couple hours from the house, so got up with him that night, and we kind of got a game plan going, and I had actually never stepped foot on this place. Um. You know, he he's hunted it before and killed a couple of turkeys but but he hadn't seen a lot of it. So we were kinda of going in blindly trying to trying to lay some eyes on some new ground. And um woke up that next morning about three o'clock and, and headed out. Ooh, three o'clock, uh,
0: man. To... That's a freaking uh that's a commitment right there.
1: <laughs> Golly, man. It was if it hadn't been the opener, I don't know if it'd have been that early, you know what I'm saying?
0: Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta be the first one in the gate. I hear that.
1: That's right. So, got to the gate about four, and uh, man, by this time we had done crack two Red Bulls, and, and uh, we were way too pumped, way too early, so uh, that was that was pretty funny, but so anyways, um, daylight rolls around, and, and we're back in our spot, and I don't really know where this guy came from, but there was a guy in front of us a ways. Um, we heard him trying to locate a turkey, so we were, you know, kind of shot ourselves in the foot right there. Um, So, we got on the map, hopped on the map, and and try to find some uh, some other places to go, dropping a few pins, and so we got in the truck and and just rode around, covering a lot of ground, um, trying to locate a bird for the next few minutes uh, that they were on the roost, um, but didn't hear anything. And it was a really pretty morning, and um, out there, especially in South Mississippi, man, most of that public ground on there is a lot of pines, and um, oh yeah, because they manage they manage it for timber as well. That's a big big source of income for them um so we were riding around and, and we were really trying to target uh these big creek bottoms and for me uh in years past that's where I've had a lot of luck early season is is finding these giant creek bottoms with some hardwood timber and maybe some good transition areas um that those turkeys really like to feed in get a little bit of a little bit of all the um habitat right there so we go to riding and and the first place we, we turned in, the gate was actually locked, and and it was a it was a long ride back in there. So we were going to loop around, um, but we found this little pig trail, kind of going back toward where we wanted to be. Um, so we just parked right there and got to walking. Well, we walked all the way back, um, calling every few minutes, and we got we got to the back to the end of this trail, and there was there was a couple blocks of private, and uh, didn't want to didn't want to get on them or anything. So we found some really good signs. And uh honestly was expecting to, you know, strike something up back there. Um, some fresh scratching, some a little bit older. But uh had no luck. Sat back there for maybe fifteen or twenty minutes and and while we're waiting we're just looking on the map and, and realized that we to get to the bulk of this of this big giant bottom we wanted to be in, we're gonna have to go back to the truck and go to the other side of this of this place. And as we were walking out, man, we got really close to the truck. And uh, you know we were just just hanging out talking, and um, so my buddy he was like, "Man, I'm gonna go out here on this on this fire lane right here and and just throw a call off into this bottom. You know we have nothing else better to do." So. Oh yeah. We were standing in that fire lane, and uh, he threw a yelp down there, and I kid you not, a turkey gobbled, and it was no further than sixty yards.
0: Ooh, inside a uh, hundred! Wow,
1: that's cool. Oh man, it was crazy. It was one of those gobbles that kind of kind of bounced off your chest, and you just really felt it.
0: Shook Yeah, yeah, one of those gobbles you can feel. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Oh, man, and and that that got us, you know, we kind of looked at each other like, holy crap, and um, I already took the shell out of my gun because we were almost to the truck. <laughs> so I'm fumbling around. Yeah, it was crazy. I'm fumbling around trying to get a shell out, and uh, he he dives off in the bushes, and I finally get my shell out and, and get it put in the gun. And as uh, soon as I just, I didn't have anywhere to go because I could hear the turkey drumming already, and things were things were heating up pretty quick. And so I just sat down right in the middle of that little little trail, and um, I knew if I saw him, I was going to have to, I was going to have to make a quick move because I'm in a wide open, um, and he's going to skyline me easy. Ooh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was not not most uh, perfect setup, needless to say. So I hear the drumming getting louder and louder. And about that time, um, the way that fire lane went, it went right to the, to the base of this hill that we were sitting on and made a hard right 90. And that turkey, when we struck him, was probably 30 yards down that 90. Ooh. And so he pops out at 25 yards, and, and I didn't give him much, much time. So as soon as he kind of let down out of strut a little bit, I went ahead and shot, and it was, I don't know, maybe 25 yards.
0: Oh, man, freaking, yeah. <laughs> he was definitely in the danger zone.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. He ended up having a buddy with him, um, a looker in the back, and I didn't see him. Didn't see him coming, and uh, so we're kind of, you know, wanted wanted to double up, but we'll take what we can get for sure.
0: Oh, dude, yeah, and this was this was like last week on a Thursday, so so the day after the opener.
1: Yep, second day of season. Yeah, dude. So
0: that that's so interesting. So you got you guys haul off into the spot. So you guys had a plan A, and this is exactly uh- what. I was preaching on, you know, a couple podcasts ago when we're running through, you know, tips and tricks for turkey season on that episode is I told guys, no matter if you're traveling out of state or if you're, this is like pretty much your backyard where you're hunting at, you know, you know the area, you know where you're going. If you guys didn't have a plan B or at least know the area or had that knowledge, dude, like most guys would be like, well, crap, you know, we ran into that hunter, you know, you know, first light and you know, they're scrambling around thinking, okay, what, what are we going to do now? We don't have a plan B. Having a plan B and having another place to go and having that ace card in your back pocket, dude, that, that will kill you more birds. The knowledge, the local knowledge, and even if you're going out of state, guys, if you guys listen to this podcast and you're going to plan a turkey tour or an out-of-state trip, have at least a plan B through D. Like, you got to have something going on. So, just like Seth was talking about, they got to the gate, got there, they got up at 3 o'clock, so they did everything right, super amped. Of course, this is like their opener, even though they're – didn't get to go on Wednesday, and they ran into another hunter. So they did the right thing. They backed out, you know, probably talked to that guy and let them know what they're doing, and, and, uh, and they got out of there and got on the bird. So that's, that's freaking killer, dude. And then on top of that, you know, being, uh, you know, on that fire break and knowing exactly like what you just mentioned on, you know, turkey habitat, knowing what to look for, creek bottoms, transitions, stuff like that, knowing what turkeys like to be in, it's it's just vital. It's just stuff you got to know as a turkey hunter, and in this case, it definitely paid off for sure.
1: Oh yeah, man! And back to what you said, uh, that plan B, and it's really nice being on this this big chunks of public where you got you know some places thousands of acres to play with. Oh yeah, and um, you know on these little private blocks, if you get uh, screwed off the right off the jump, uh, I mean you know you know day's kind of shot, I guess. But that's what I love about the public.
0: Dude, yeah, and especially knowing what tracks you can go on and, and, you know, having, like like you just said, having a plan B and knowing where to go is is crucial. So, basically, what, what did you guys, uh, did you guys go anything or go after some afternoon birds after that, or you guys were kind of just, just chilling at that point?
1: Oh, yeah, so, um, man, start to finish was little over two minutes on that hunt, so it was, wow. I mean, it was about as bang as it could happen. Yeah. And, um, uh, Yeah, dude, really quick. And and after that, we just kind of sat on that hill for probably an hour, um, just, you know, soaking it in, first one of the year. Just really couldn't believe, you know, how it all played out. But um, we ended up leaving, and and the the forestry uh, guys had done a good bit of burning out there, so we were trying to target some of these burns and and maybe another creek bottom or or two to try to, you know, lay our eyes on something else for the following day. and we actually found a couple of turkeys. They weren't real vocal, but we let our eyes on them. So, um, spent most of the most of the afternoon pretty much scout hunting.
0: Oh, yeah, which is definitely something that we've mentioned before. Like like you guys were, you know, on your plan B spot, you guys were more or less prospecting. So, you you kind of knew the area. You kind of were looking for habitat, but you were walking – you mentioned you were walking and calling, looking. And, and I've mentioned sign before. what What kind of sign – that you guys look for in Mississippi? I mean, obviously, scratching and stuff, but, like, is there a certain, you know, sweet spot area with, uh, you know, certain types of elevation or uh, terrain or stuff like that? What do you guys look for where you're like, hey, you know, I'm dropping a pin here. I'm at least going to go listen here. Like, what, what do you guys look for?
1: Yeah, so, uh, like I mentioned earlier, on those big public tracks in South Mississippi, um, those things are dominated probably 90% pine timber. Yeah. Which, you know, I've killed a lot of turkeys in pine timber, and. And uh, they really like it, but but uh, those big hardwood bottoms, man, they got, you know, you got the red hook acorns that are still um, holding on and, and they're feeding on those. And that's really kind of what we were targeting going into this was those big bottoms um, Try to find birds feeding in there midday. And those burns, uh, it didn't play out like we wanted it to because the burn was really fresh. Oh, I got you. But, yeah, man, there were some stumps still smoldering. But if you can catch those burns about two weeks old, when the little green stuff is starting to starting to shoot up under the trees, um, that's really that can really be a hot spot uh, for the turkeys here in Mississippi.
0: Dude, that's definitely true. I've got a little – I've got a weird deal in my backyard here. It's kind of a maybe – I don't even know if it's – it's maybe 50 yards wide by 60, 70 yards long where we plant. It's got in it right now winter ryegrass, and I've got a corn feeder with like – bird seed and cracked corn in it so it's like a magnet for the local turkey flock back here behind the house and it's really cool to watch them and 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 observe what they do and behavior and you just talking about burning i have a huge uh oak tree that's you know thousand years old that's right in the middle of this thing and and have a giant pile of leaves around it left over from the fall and i went out there and lit it just to burn the leaves around the base of that tree And, dude, the very next morning, I I shit you not, like these turkeys came straight out. Obviously, they're feeding around the feeder, but they went right over to that fresh burn and was kicking stuff over. I mean, literally, you know, 10 hours previous it was on fire. So that shows you turkeys do recognize stuff like that, even in a controlled environment like that, like Seth's talking about on public land. Turkeys are looking for bugs, super fresh, you know, sprigs of green like he's talking about. And, uh, And another thing that Seth mentioned was, Wide open hardwood bottoms. you got to think right now, the turkey is probably one of the most predacious uh, game birds in existence right now. So the biggest thing they have against predators is their eyesight. Because turkeys, you know, people may not know this or may know this from the podcast, or you may have heard this from a biologist, but turkeys cannot smell, they cannot taste. So their their really only weapon against predators is literally their eyesight. They have the best eyesight in the woods. And I've heard my granddad say this a, a thousand times. If a turkey could smell like a deer or a coyote, no one would ever kill one, dude, because they'd be, they'd be like the ultimate, you know, survivor out there. But like he was saying, they are in the hardwood bottoms because not only right now is the wood still, you know, stuff's turning green where I'm at, but in other parts of the country, it's still really reminiscent of deer season. So it's wide open. They can see forever. Uh, turkeys are looking for movement. So if they're in a big wintering flock or, you know, f- fresh from fly down and they're feeding around, they want to be safe. So if they're in a big, wide-open bottom – they can see forever so they feel safe they can walk about scratch around breed, whatever they want to do during that day they, they can kind of mill around so having that knowledge knowing how a turkey is biologically it, it you know it may just put you within earshot and eventually get you in gun range of a wild turkey so that's some really good tips
1: right there man oh yeah and one more thing i was going to mention um just about that whole situation if you go in into one of those big bottoms, and you, you might strike a flock up uh, on the roost or something, um, usually for us, the birds that have been more more accepting of the calls, you know, more callable turkeys are the satellite turkeys that are really on the edge of that, maybe got kicked out of the flock or something. Absolutely. Um, that's definitely what we were trying to find right there. Uh, you know, you might have three or four times down in the in the bottom gobbling a lot, but but that one bird off to the side usually – is really workable and and give you the best chance.
0: Dude, yeah, and it's probably – you've probably encountered this a ton, especially in Mississippi because you're not that far off from Georgia. But opening day for us is usually – I mean, not to discourage anybody, but it's usually hit or miss because these turkeys are still in the same pattern. They haven't really – and it's really dependent on the time of year and the weather and all those factors. I I know that, but – These turkeys are – I mean, they're getting off the roost and they're getting with a hen pretty damn quick this time of year, especially around the opener. I mean, this cold front has just moved through. It it was, you know, 69, 75, you know, maybe a week and a half ago here in North Georgia. And now it it was 20 this morning, you know, and and rising. So, I think the high was like 45, 56, something like that. So, as the cold front comes and it messes with them, these turkeys are getting off the roost and getting with hens pretty quick. So. Like, like Seth just mentioned, dude, those satellite birds, the birds that are flying down and yet they're not in the click, per se, you know, with these hens, they are the killable birds. They're going to be the birds that you're going to get on opening day. Those, those birds that fly down, you may hear some goblet on the limb, you know, they, they may be hitting everything you're throwing at them, and then, you know, you hit that, you know, that 8.30, that 8.45, that 9 o'clock hour, and it seems like they just, you know, just completely shut it off. Most of the times they're with hens, or they definitely have an agenda that day, so, You know, just kind of like these guys did. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged in that. And and please don't take your box call and start yakking through the woods over and over and over because it's just going to drive turkeys to other hunters, especially on public land. So, be conservative. Stick with those birds because around that midday, that early afternoon, you might strike one because they may have done their thing with the hens and they may be doing their own thing. You know, longbeards throughout the day, they do their own thing. So, they'll get their business done and then they might branch off into groups of two or one by themselves. So, you know, stay with that flock, be adaptable to the situation, and listen to what's going on. Listening ears will kill you more birds than any call at Walmart, I promise you, and Seth will probably tell you the same thing. No doubt. Absolutely, dude. So, we got some questions that we've been going through with these guests on the podcast just to get your rundown, Uh, you know, maybe some tips and tricks here and there, maybe how you're using your setup. So, the number one uh, which we did a video, if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, guys, go check out the YouTube channel, Mojo Bug Productions. We got a cool video from the NWTF. We went all around the show and asked everybody from Dave Owens to the Hunt Public, all those guys, what your number one turkey hunting tip was for maybe somebody that's you know been doing it since they were 10 or somebody that's just now diving into it for the first season this spring. So, Seth, I want to ask you, dude, what's your number one turkey hunting tip uh, for this spring turkey season?
1: Yeah, so Man, there's so much you could go over but, but one thing that I've really found that, that I have actually messed up a lot in the turkey woods is uh getting too excited real early in the morning and and pushing that turkey off the limb, trying to get too close. Yep. Uh, trying to get in, in the little bubble that, you know, all the all the turkey hunter guys talk about getting inside that bubble. But man, if you could just err on the side of caution, you know, maybe hold up at, at hundred and fifty yards or 120 yards instead of trying to get inside of 70 because you know depending on the the way the sun's positioned in a, in a certain area or man them jokers can see good so just erring on the side of caution um really walking to that turkey on the limb because i i've messed that up just a, a ton of times
0: oh gosh yeah dude i mean as a guy that you know yourself you got probably several years of turkey hunting under your belt same here on the other side of the microphone and I'm telling you, I cannot tell you how many times. It is so tempting. If you hear a bird hammering, uh, you know, it's after he ha- gives you that last gobble, you want to jump up and run and go somewhere. And, and, w- and w- we went over this in past episodes. But if you get that last gobble and you think it was in about 150, you know, 200 yards, give it that, that extra 15 minutes of sitting there and listening and not being just crazy on a call or getting up and moving or swinging a gun around. Dude, I'm telling you, that if that turkey's not gobbling, he's either he's moving to you or he's moving away from you or he's found something else better. So, like I say, it's, it's such a tempting thing to want to get up and run around. And then and I've had situations, Seth, where I've had a turkey gobbling on top of a, a giant food plot and I'm down here in a, in a pine wood bottom and, and it's like he's got concrete tennis shoes. It's like she, he will gobble. I could have taken a number two pencil and the top of a dip can – and literally, you know, made a turkey noise on that, and he would have gobbled at it. But he was just content being where he was, strutting, and, and doing what turkeys naturally do, which most people, you may be new to turkey hunt, listen to this. In nature, God designed these turkeys. The reason they look so good and iridescent feathers and strutting and all that stuff, the reason they have all that is because the hens are supposed to naturally go to that gobbler. So as a turkey hunter, you are literally reversing nature. So you're trying to be super attractive, uh, and you got to know when to shut it off at the right time. So if you get that bird hammering everything you're throwing at him, cut it off, dude. Play the quiet game because nine times out of ten, just like Seth is saying, dude, do not get up and go try to find him and be moving around. He may be he may be damn well coming right to you. So it's uh, <laughs> that's why they call it chess, not checkers. Am I right?
1: Oh yeah, man. You can make a hundred a hundred different plays to a turkey once he's on the ground. But if you if you screw it up right off the you know right off the roost, you're out of it for a while at least.
0: Dude, yeah, absolutely. I was watching a. Uh, I don't know if you watched. Uh, I'm I'm sure you do. But you know, YouTube turkey hunters, especially right now, this is the best time of year for them. But uh, Shane Simpson had an episode. I don't know what state he was in. I want to say he was in Wisconsin, which is I think is where he resides. But I think he he got up super tight. He had dropped a pin on a bird before, and he he did his famous you know al who and he had a drops dropped on onyx and he went in there after him the next morning dude he got within like i would say 25 or 30 yards and the turkey was roosted in the tree behind where he decided to sit that day so if you guys watch shane simpson he's running a full-blown camera he's running a i think they call it a gopro 360 that he sticks behind him he's got all these camera angles and equipment that he's hunting with you know screens glowing in his face because it's breaking daylight and this turkey hammers and he's literally 35 yards behind him. He, he gets the camera turned around enough where he zooms in and can see the turkey on the actual limb. And he's, and he's thinking like he's completely busted. So obviously that is the situation that we're talking about. Play conservative, uh, you know, and, and I mean, Seth, I'm sure you've been in those situations where you really kind of have to be aggressive on a bird. And I think, uh, you know, you may find that mid to late season too. I mean, you could kind of be more aggressive maybe, um, uh, in certain situations, but, you know, listening to that turkey gobble and the way he responds to a call, it's it's weird to say that to a guy that's never been turkey hunting, but if you spend time in the turkey woods, that turkey will tell you how to kill him, and that that is a crazy thing to say, and it sounds weird to you, but that turkey, the way he responds to a call and what he's doing, and and you can hear hens in the area, you can piece that puzzle together in your head just based off what you hear. So it's crazy, man. Turkey hunting is so unique, and it's, man – uh, you can walk out of the woods with so much knowledge and have had so much fun without a turkey, you know, hanging over your shoulder, swinging around, going to the truck. It's that's what keeps people coming back. I think.
1: Oh yeah, man, and and every turkey has a different personality. Like you just mentioned, checking that turkey's temperature, <clears throat> excuse me, and and really seeing you know what kind of energy he's putting out, and then matching that energy is how you just, um, you know, how how each turkey is unique in its own self. Um,
0: Dude, that that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. And, yeah. I, and I told these guys starting out in the beginning of the podcast is if you're if you're a beginner turkey hunter and and you know I, I kind of steered them towards a friction call because you know a diaphragm is kind of more of an advanced deal and um, and you may run a diaphragm like I do but a friction call is probably the best thing for your. You know, my, my first turkey call was one of those old school you know black plastic Primos push button turkey calls. I mean you cannot screw that thing up as long as you keep it dry you can sound like a turkey in the woods. so that's a great thing to learn on any kind of friction call box calls are kind of uh dummy proof these days you know if you can you know hold a number two pencil most guys can run a pot call slate call aluminum call stuff like that anything friction call i would highly recommend you guys grabbing keeping in the truck and listening to wild turkeys but being out there like Seth is saying checking temperature that turkey's gobbling is he cutting you off is it, you know, more than a few seconds before he gobbles back to you? It, it's crazy how you can gain so much knowledge from just sitting in the turkey woods, even with just a call and not a gun in your hand. It's so crazy how they can teach you so much about their behavior, the time of year, uh, you know, whether there's a hen on nest or whether there's not, if he's a lone gobbler, if he's got friends, or even a jake gobble, dude, it's, it's crazy what you can get from that information. So... Moving on to number two, this is probably the biggest thing we've been obsessed with on the podcast, especially after Jake Sleesman's episode where we talked about turkey gun setups and patterns. And dude, that's a whole nother addiction is turkey guns and setting those things up. But what is your go-to turkey setup? What was on your shoulder uh, that opening or the the next day after your opener on on Mississippi? What's your favorite go-to turkey gun setup?
1: So, try to. Uh, or before TSS came around, um, I was shooting uh, a Remington 870 12 gauge um, and a long Beard XRs, and man, I loved it. Yep. But when this TSS came around, uh, people started go- going to the sub gauges and and getting the same results as-, as the 12 gauge. You know, before all this came about. And so I have recently broke out my old youth model 870 20 gauge, and that's what I was coating. And, uh, and that's what I'm still carrying in the woods, uh, right now, man, that gun's so light and it's just a sweet little gun shoots phenomenal out to, out the 50, 55 yards. And, um, you really just can't beat it.
0: No, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's so funny. You say that because we literally just went over how the, just the evolution of, of ammunition and shotguns and stuff's really changed in Turkey hunting in the last 10 years. It's, it's crazy how much the gear, the ammo, the optics, the decoys, the mapping systems you use on your phone, how much that stuff has really changed the game for turkey season. And, uh, dude, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I can't tell you how many birds I've slammed in the dirt with just a, you know, a $19 box of three-inch long beard, shoved them in a brown and 12-gauge shotgun and went to town with an old – you know, this will really tell the age of my turkey hunting skills right here. A true glow gobble stopper from Walmart, dude. You know, I don't even know what constriction <laughs> it was, but – it looked good on paper, so that's what we rolled with back in the day, so that's exactly what I'm telling you guys, and and we're not bashing, Seth's not bashing a 12-gauge here, so don't get your feathers all ruffled here. Literally hunt how you want to hunt, do you, and let the other guy do him, and that's exactly what the the name of the game is here. So, what we're talking about is TSS and a sub-gauge, and he literally just took the words out of my mouth. TSS and a sub-gauge, put it on the same level as a 12-gauge with a 3-inch long-beard shell, and it's I mean, you just literally can't beat it. It's lightweight, it's maneuverable. In some cases, it's it saves you two or three pounds off that 12-gauge lugging around in the turkey woods. So, man, I, I love it. And for you guys listening to this on the podcast, or you may be watching this on YouTube, uh, check out the YouTube page. I literally just dropped a pattern series on the world's smallest turkey gun, a Mossberg 510 Mini. Uh, it just dropped today at 7 o'clock. So if you want to go check that out, I put eight different TSS loads through that shotgun, and I also shot a Longbeard XR lead shell just to show you how poor it performed, even in a 20-gauge. So, again, just, just an awesome setup. So, yeah, dude, and it's so funny. Turkey hunters, like, we're so, like, specific and, like, superstitious almost to the point of our gear. Like, I'm, I'm sure you've got stuff. Like, what what's a thing in your turkey vest that's never, you know, been taken out since you started? You have anything like that in your vest?
1: Yeah, I have a, um, I have a crow call. So my dad gave me, he had two of them, and he gave me one when I was probably eight or nine years old. And I've lost it a couple times, but I found it, you know, every time I've lost it, and that never leaves my turkey vest. I always have that on me. And it doesn't have a name on it. I really don't know where it came from, but it's just an old wooden crow call, and, man, that thing sounds really good.
0: Dude, that's, that's so cool. I've got an old HS strut, which I don't even know if, I guess they're still around, like an old HS strut. A knee pod that they sold at Walmart back in, oh my gosh, dude, like twenty, you know, two thousand seven or eight, and it's it's in this is the old camo. It's in it's in like real tree hardwood green HD. That's the old camo that used to be way back in the day when me and dad first started turkey hunting. And I bought that knee pod because as a little fella in the woods, you know, you're you're sitting there on go because your dad's calling and you're trying to be still and you don't want to move. So he bought me that knee pod because as a you know as a kid you're sitting there with a shotgun and it's heavy and you may have a sling swivel or a forend or something that's digging into your knee so having that knee pod you know buckled to my leg uh i i don't really use it so much anymore because i like to do a lot of running and gunning and stuff like that but i do keep it in my turkey vest because i'm i'm kind of superstitious i just like to have that thing with me because it's been lucky so yeah dude it's just turkey hunters are weird like that you see stuff like that all the time uh, speaking about vests, did you see, I mean, dude, obviously, I mean, who didn't see this, but being in Mississippi, especially, did did you stand in line for a Fox vest or did you hear anybody that did that, you know, in your hunting group or anything like that?
1: Oh yeah. I have, I have quite a few buddies that, that went up there and some of them got them at the convention and oh, then yeah. others went to, yeah. And then others went to West Point and waited in line up there and I really wanted to go, but, uh, I had work every day. Oh And then, man. Yeah, man, it just it's kind of a bummer. But I might get one of the unnumbered best, you know, when they drop. But you no, know, I didn't get one of the one of the first first to hit the market best.
0: No, no, I, I certainly didn't either. I I mean per- personally, I thought it was super cool. Like, I'm a big supporter of Mossy Like I think everything they stand for, you know, family run business has been around for for freaking ever. Do like some of the most iconic patterns that more turkeys have probably. You know, I would say stared at, but not seen people because of mossy oak than any other camo known to man, especially in the spring turkey woods. But I, I myself was not going to stand in line and sleep on concrete to get one. But you know, I'm kind of like you. I mean, I may pick up a number one later on, but dude, it is it's absolutely crazy the turnout for those things. I was actually checking eBay today. Just I, if you go on eBay and type in Mr. Fox Vest, you will be freaking shocked. And if you're not up to speed on this, this is a custom made design vest. That Was based off the Bob Dixon back in the day. So Mossy Oak had a very limited number of uh numbered turkey vests back in the day, based off of Mr. Bob Dixon, who was a great, awesome, you know, very historic guy, conservationist for turkey hunting. And uh, they kind of brought that back but with a modern twist and some newer stuff. And dude, it was it was insane the amount, <laughs> the amount of people that showed up for this turkey vest. I, I went to the NWTF and did our video with with uh, some guys up there on that Saturday, but he had opened on Thursday. And I think Thursday people, dude, I think people spent the night out there at the Gaylord. Like they were literally sleeping in sleeping bags out there on that hotel floor just to get a chance to get one of these numbered vests. So that's, that's the type of people we're talking to here. Turkey hunters are literally a different breed, dude. Like we live and sleep, you know, live, breathing and sleep turkey hunting. And it's, it's, when it gets in your blood, it's, it's addicting and, it's it, it is awesome to see the turnout behind the Mossy Oak vest, dude. It was it was the craziest thing I've ever seen.
1: Oh yeah, and that's one of the most that was one of the most coveted piece of turkey hunting equipment, you know, I think ever made. Oh, it, it, and, especially
0: uh, in uh, in my lifetime. I've never seen anybody or any any group of people turn out like that.
1: Yeah, and I don't remember the um I don't even know what year the Bob Dixon vest dropped, but this was probably ramped up times ten with social media and and all that and and uh, I have a couple of buddies that went to West Point and they sat in line for uh, slept in line let me say for the oh twenty four, 24- god, <laughs> yeah, whole day.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, at least if they, if they got one, you know, I I hope it. Uh, I hope it's something that you know, and people are. You know, <sighs> People have such an opinion on this, and I've seen people argue about it on Facebook and in these turkey groups and stuff. Like, man, listen, listen here for everybody listening to this podcast. If you stand in line and you spend your own time and money and effort to get this vest, who cares if they're going to sell it on eBay? I know you know, most of us would probably buy it and keep it for a, a family heirloom or hunting it once a year and put it up or whatever, but like, dude, if somebody's gonna turn around and just capitalize that—that's capitalism. That's what America's built off of. So if you see one on eBay for four grand, my hats off to that guy that buys it, dude. Because they went for four hundred and fifty dollars. There was numbered and unnumbered vests. I've seen. Um, I know for a fact that on Sunday, I think it was when the NWTF closed Saturday night, they auctioned one off for thirty-one thousand dollars. That was through the NWTF, so that went straight to conservation, which that's freaking awesome, dude. Like. Anything to help the wild turkey, I am all for it. And then, as the weeks went on and the numbered vests were kind of getting out in circulation from the NWTF, I was seeing vests for sixty nine ninety nine, you know, four thousand, five thousand. I saw one go up to seventy five hundred on eBay that I was watching pretty hard because I just wanted to see what it went for. And dude, it's wow. it's absolutely wild. But you know what? That's just uh, excuse me, that's just marketing at its finest, and it does show how passionate. People are out there for the wild turkey. But, yeah, dude, we, we, got, down uh, a ra- we got down a rabbit hole on that. <laughs> I just thought it was – I just wanted to get your opinion because I haven't talked to somebody from Mississippi since the vest dropped, and I was just curious if you were – if you had one in, in your possession. But that's freaking awesome, dude, that some of your buddies got one. So, number yep. three on the question, uh, do you have a favorite type of call? You know, what is it? Why do you like it? And, you know, what, what's your go-to favorite call in your turkey vest?
1: Okay. So growing up, my dad was always a, a die diehard diaphragm guy, big mouth call guy. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. And I, I wanted to be just like him and, you know, everything, the ways he hunted. And, and from the jump, we were really a run and gun style, style type hunt. And um, we really didn't use decoys, mostly because I didn't want to carry them. Um, and it bit us in the butt, you know, a bunch of times, but just getting out there and, and chasing these turkeys all over the woods with a mouth call, and so growing up, I, I kind of—that's what I honed in on, uh, more to, you know, more or less. But that's really my go-to. Uh, I love a mouth call, and and I started making them actually this oh, past really? Yeah, I got the equipment and, and started hand pressing my own jigs. I mean, my own uh, excuse me mouth calls. But I really enjoy that, and I, I do have a lot of friction calls and stuff. Um, the David Haller and Slate calls, man. Those things are killer,
0: dude. That's wicked, man.
1: Yeah, man. I'm running a uh, a Dave Owens ghost cut right now, and uh, it's super versatile. Um, it's kind of hard to blow, you know. Not a not a lot of people really like a ghost cut, but for me, you can get really high front end yelps and uh, do all the little soft double clucks and stuff, and that's really my go to.
0: Yeah, dude. That that's exactly uh, it's. It's crazy that, you know, people think that as soon as they get into turkey hunting, they got to, you know, be the loudest freaking yelp in the woods or do like a crazy cut sequence every five seconds. And and uh, I'm sure you've heard it on public land. You can tell, well, that guy must be a new turkey hunter because there ain't nothing God when he's giving her hell back there. But, no, exactly what Seth is mentioning, dude, the subtle – If you ever heard the saying, the devil's in the details? That's exactly – what turkey hunting is too so that those soft bubble clucks the whines the little feed the little feed call i'm I'm sounding like a waterfowl guy now but uh the little the little subtle sounds that a hen makes a hen doesn't walk through the woods quiet and as you turkey hunt more and as you have as you have those encounters you will see that hear it for yourself but but they're all the time making noise whether it's scratching the leaves or the bubble clucks or the real subtle stuff that you hear when you're right on top of them but that's that a lot of the times will sound more realistic to that gobbler that's heard a lot of stuff. And this really hones into the guys that hunt public woods. But, you know, you're really going to find that out. You know, you don't have to do a Yelp sequence all the time. You can switch it up because sometimes, you know, in those public blocks of woods that you're concentrating on, being that different realistic guy may kill you a turkey versus the guy that's, you know, within 500 yards of you. So, you know, it's – like I said, the devil's in the details, man – Learning those subtle, realistic noises will kill you a lot of birds. And what Seth just mentioned on the diaphragm calls, man, I think I've referenced it before in the podcast, but Seth, uh, Shane Simpson's got a cool video on YouTube where if you want to dive into the world of diaphragm calls, I highly suggest you watch that because he goes into, and I'm sure Seth could tell you more, but you know, knowing the type of air channel that your mouth makes, the human mouth is different between you take 10 guys and they all choose 10 different mouth calls that – that they can find their, their turkey sound on. And finding your turkey sound and knowing what cut, how many reeds, what kind of stretch on a diaphragm call, and we're getting way into the weeds here on, on turkey mouth calls. But, dude, it's a, <laughs> it's a whole other world. Like, you see that guy on stage, you could take Dave Owens's call, you could buy it for 13 14 bucks whatever they're going for now, and you could take it all the way home. And you may not be able to make a freaking yelp on it. It may sound like a dying dead balloon out there in the turkey woods, and that's because it may not fit your air channel. Like my personal air channel is kind of off-center to the – if you're looking at me, it's off-center to the left. I like a triple read. Uh, I think it's like a – it's not a reverse combo. I think it's just a normal combo cut, and I personally like a low stretch. So Seth probably knows exactly what I'm talking about because he literally makes mouth calls. But it's stuff like that that takes so many years – of buying mouth calls and trying to find the one that that fits your mouth so yeah dude that's a that's a whole nother art and like i'd love to pick your brain on making mouth calls maybe that'd be a separate podcast episode but that's that's really cool so you so you're mostly a a diaphragm type of guy in in the turkey woods
1: yeah i don't i don't really carry a box Uh, i've got a couple but i don't carry them because you know jump across creek and stuff that thing will rattle on you sometimes oh yeah yeah that really that really aggravates me but I do carry – I got two pot calls. I got a, a Woodhaven and then the David Halloran, like I mentioned earlier. But um, it's more like the – you know, man, this turkey really, really isn't coming to my mouth call. So, you know, last chance effort kind of thing.
0: Oh, yeah. And, that, and, and that's definitely something I like to have too. I like to have at least four or five different pitches of turkey sounds that I'm able to produce in the turkey woods, whether that's a glass – uh, just your standard slate call. You know, slate has a real deep tone, a real natural tone. Slate calling is more that high pitch frequency, like you'll see out west. Merriam's, Rio's like to react to that because it carries a lot further. Uh, you know, it's it's crazy, man. I mean, all the, the subspecies and what they like. Have you ever done any traveling on turkey tours or anything like that? Or have you kind of stuck to Mississippi your whole life? Or
1: Yeah, so I've been um... – I've never been anywhere to hunt a different subspecies of turkey, so I've always stuck to the easterns.
0: Okay. But um,
1: I've hit Alabama, um, Mississippi, obviously Tennessee. Um, I'd love to get down to Florida, and I was thinking about doing it this year, it just didn't pan out. Um, Missouri, uh, Kentucky, and then this year I've got I've got Virginia and West Virginia as my two my two new add-ons.
0: Oh, that's killer, dude. Uh, I've got your number now, so if you ever want to knock out a Georgia bird, we may can swap a, swap a hunt or just have you down in the house, dude. We can. Uh, I don't think putting you on a beer down here is going to be a big deal. It may not be public, as long as you're cool running on private. We could probably, uh, we could probably get, make that happen.
1: Oh, man, yeah, I was going to talk to you a little bit <laughs> after this podcast about, um, you know, where you live and, and what kind of public's around there, but I'm glad you said that.
0: Yeah, dude, yeah. Hey, hey, if you're ever on the podcast, for you guys out there, if I ever have you on the podcast – you're a lifelong friend we exchange numbers we're freaking you know we we might become a thunder buddies and 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 watch one die dude that's that's what I'm all about so let's get to number four okay and you kind of answered this in your previous answer but are you more of a running gun guy or are you a sit and wait guy and I think I, I think I know your answer but a lot of guys hunt different and and obviously situations call for for you for a turkey hunter to do different things in order to get into that you know in a turkey into gun range but if you could draw up your perfect hunt are you a running gun or are you a sit and wait type of guy
1: i'm definitely um a running gun type guy man it's really you know i spend october november december and january we have a really long deer season in mississippi um deer hunting sitting and waiting so when spring rolls around you know i'm ready i'm ready to roll on absolutely and up uh, Make some do tracks, so, so that's that's kind of my style,
0: dude. Yeah, I'm I'm literally I I, I caught that from your other answer on number on number three, but I, I'm the same way. I'll be the first one to come out of my vest, you know, go strictly with a, I use a lot of those North Mountain Gear leafy pullovers because they got the big kangaroo pocket, so I'm throwing my cell phone in there, you know. I may you know throw a GoPro on Steve and me, and him are are running through the woods. Steve is my little twenty gauge. I run, I run around with uh, Stevens three hundred one. Oh yeah. His name is Steve for all the YouTube subscribers. They know what I'm talking about. But, yeah, I'm, I'm the first one to ditch a turkey vest and, and do the running gun. I've had a lot of success doing that, especially especially like we mentioned earlier, guys. If that turkey has concrete tennis shoes on and he's content where he's at, he's gobbling at you, if, if he's going to keep gobbling, I, I wouldn't call to him. I would just go kill him. <laughs> Seth probably Seth probably tell you the same thing, dude. If he's going to be that stupid and give away his position – it's just like a little mini-war you're dealing with these dudes. So if he's going to give away his position, you're trying to snake around the, the terrain, using the terrain for cover and being smart and calculating moves and moving your chest piece because the ultimate goal is to get that turkey within gun range. So, And sometimes they win. I mean, Seth will tell you, dude, sometimes the turkeys win and you're a better turkey hunter for the experience and the, and the skills that you picked up from that hunt. Like I said, you don't have to, you know, have a fan on the wall or – or spurs hanging down from your rearview mirror to have had a fun hunt, man. You can you can have a great hunt and learn a lot, and that's that is what ultimately that's the most beautiful thing about turkey hunting is enjoying the process from A to Z. You know the get up, the scouting, the listening, the experience, the encounters. That's that's literally why that's why we get up like he said at three in the morning and we're pounding Red Bulls and we're with our buddy in the truck and we're beating people to the gate. That's the whole reason this thing. That's why it goes around. So. Yeah, man. Well, Seth, dude, I, I, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast, dude. Uh, I mean, just just an awesome episode, just some real-world turkey experience, especially fresh from the opening week of Mississippi season. I hope you guys check out Seth. Uh, Seth, again, where can they find you on social media if they want to give you a follow and check out some of your content, dude?
1: Yeah, so my social media, um, Instagram and Facebook, is is Seth.box. And then, uh, like I mentioned earlier, our turkey hunting page is is spring? I believe it's two underscores spring underscore underscore rush, and that's where he posts a lot of our turkey content.
0: Yeah, dude, that, and there's some really good pictures on there, especially from your opening hunt and, and some past content. So you guys definitely want to go check him out. Drop him a follow. You know, comment on his stuff. Interact with his uh, with his content. Cause he's got some good stuff coming out. I'm sure this is not, you know, Lord willing in the creek don't rise. This is not the last turkey that'll that'll hit the dirt under old Seth Box up here this this uh, this turkey season. So. Uh, man i wish you the best of luck spring season be safe in your travels and uh, we may have to get a mid-season update if you get another one on the ground and and get some uh, insight on that but dude thanks again for being on the podcast you guys thanks so much for liking and sharing this podcast i love the the feedback i've gotten has been so positive and and starting this thing like i said no commercials no fillers there's nobody behind this me in my shop with the stuff we bought off amazon with our wallet so guys this is all for you just pure hunting content and uh, as always guys we'll catch you on in the next episode